This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi guys, I'm Chris Ginch here with Empathy Marketing Group, and I help you grow your personal brand to go from best kept secret to go-to expert in your industry. Chris, thank you for being here. I feel like this is an underrated category of marketing that people, I don't know why, but they kind of look at as a little woo-woo or they don't quite get it. Or So this is going to be great because we can kind of pull back the curtain on this topic. And the reason we're talking today is to talk about personal branding, but there's so much more that that means because I think And I know you talk a lot about how it's got this really kind of twisted perception with all the influencers and all of that stuff out there. And that's just like, that's not it. (laughs) Not at all. not what we're talking about at all. So the big question before we really dig in uh, that we're going to talk about is what everyone gets wrong. We kind of did a little bit of a glimpse into it right there. But what does everyone get wrong about personal branding? So first of all, let's let's dig in. Let's talk about what that is to begin with. So it's not like all the influencers, all those kind of young kids on the beach, you know, showing all the places that they're working abroad. So what is it? What is, what, what do you what kind of work is it that you do with this personal branding stuff? Great. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Right. Because people do think personal branding is. I'm showing you my feet while I'm at the beach and I've worked two hours and that's all it is, right? Yes, yes. What I like to do is say everyone has a personal brand because a brand is just a way you're identified. It's how people know you. In other words, your personal brand is just your reputation at scale. And so what I do is I help people who are mostly executives, founders, coaches or consultants, even lawyers, right? Say, you are a professional, you have a reputation, let's be intentional about how we cultivate that reputation online. That's all a personal brand is. Okay, so I have to tell you, I had, I had an experience, maybe, let's see, I started blogging with lawyerists in 09, and around that time earlier, early into that whole kind of, you know, back in the day when it was like kind of guest blogs and, you know, very kind of blog focused sort of content, we had someone reply and they were just a very kind of curmudgeon guy who said, logos and branding are all just a bunch of fluff. Never in my life have I ever got a case that relates to this. And then I just had this kind of come full circle moment last week, I think it was on the podcast Instagram account. I had someone that said, started out their comment and said, this is silly. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good one. (laughs) This is silly. And he said, basically, his approach was that I just need to do good work. And then the referrals and the business will come that way. And all of this stuff is basically, he was kind of alluding to the idea. And the first guy 10 years ago was saying, this is all snake oil. This is all a bunch of stuff that doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with how I get business. They never really went to the idea of the bottom line, because I feel like that's the answer here. But what would you say to these guys? I'd say, by all means, go for word of mouth. Like, you need that. You need the referrals. You need the direct income stream. 
all a personal brand does is magnify who you already are. And so if all you want are the people who already know you to do business with you over and over and over again, just focus on that. If you have any interest whatsoever in capturing the other 95% of the population who have no idea about who you are, how you can help them, then personal branding is just how you transfer that skill over and say, you don't have to be anything. You don't have to be a influencer, right? In the scare quotes tactic, you don't have to be any of these things that get equated all you have to do is showcase who you are, who you help, and how you help them. And if anybody can do that, lawyers certainly can. Like you should be capturing some of that, some of that market that doesn't know who you are. Exactly. So this guy was a criminal defense lawyer. So let's just like walk through this. What's the likelihood, let's hope, that your clients are not repeat clients? Like, of course, there's going to be some people who that's just the way their life goes and they come back, you know, but more likely than not, you're going to have to keep re... What's the word I'm looking for? Like kind of refreshing and going out and getting fresh new clients all the time. Right. You're going to have to keep filling the top of your, your funnel is a marketing term. Just call it your client base. If you're a lawyer, you're going to have to constantly be replacing the people at the top and you're never going to be known as the person that can actually help this kind of person with this kind of problem. If you just spend a little bit of focus, energy and attention and effort and you become known as the person who can do this for this person, that solves the personal branding issue. And now you're starting to get people who haven't done business with you referring people to you. That's the holy grail. Right. So my response was that, yes, absolutely doing good work is a part of your reputation. And I hate to break it to you, my friend, but that is marketing. You know, that is a significant part of marketing. But that is only one small slice of the pie because of what we're talking about. So, yes, you did great work. You fulfilled the needs of that client. Check that box. You, you are great. You got a good review, hopefully, from that client. But now your work is done. And that case is closed. They have paid you. The money is in the bank. So now what? Now how do you transfer that work and that review and that kind of reputation building effort into getting that next client? So, you know, to pretend like you don't need that you don't need that effort is to pretend like you don't need the next client. Exactly. I think a lot of people just assume something about business. All it takes is me doing good work and that'll be enough. The issue is everybody does good work, right? You, you, for if the you most wanna, part. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, yes. Yeah. There are people who don't do good work and they get sought out, right? Just as everybody else. They also get found out pretty quickly though, too. So how do you differentiate yourself from the other eight out of 10 people that can do what you do and probably do it as good as you do? What, what's going to be the thing that decides in people's mind, whether they go with you or that other person? It has everything to do with their perception of how much they know, like, and trust you. And that's all, again, marketing. That's what it does. It projects outward a cultivated experience to the market that says, Here's, how, here's what you can know about me. Here's how you know you can trust me. And hopefully you'll like me if I just keep doing this enough. Yeah. And then you will trust me with your issue. And once you feel that level of trust, then, then most of that marketing work is done. Then you can just kind of work them through the process in a systematic way, which is a whole other conversation. But so let's talk about that a little bit, because I know you use this phrase called elevating authority. And I actually think this is a really good way of illustrating what this 
personal brand does and why it matters. So let's talk about how, you know, I think you kind of kind of stepped into that a little bit already with the no like and trust, but what is the elevating authority? What, how does that work? And, you know, let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, elevated authority is just taking the authority you currently have and just escalating it, right? Like you, you level it up. I had a client one time who was a lawyer, actually he was a criminal defense lawyer too, and we were working together and one of his goals was, yeah, I want more business, but more than that, I want more opportunities to kind of venture into other things, whether it was speaking, whether it was, you know, consulting, not necessarily direct client work. Well, he couldn't do that if he was only known as the best criminal defense attorney in his little pocket and corner of the world. And so what we had to do was kind of work together and say, okay, how can you demonstrate your authority so that we can elevate your authority? If you can demonstrate to a wider audience why you do what you do, how you do it so well, the results that you get, how you can help the people that you help, then more of those opportunities are going to come your way. You're not just going to be, you're not going to be signing up for different lists all the time, hoping you get asked to speak at something, right? Which is something that happens. You're going to get the, the private call, the email, the DM, the something that says... Would you please? Exactly. Yes. You're going to be invited in versus trying to push your way into something. Yes. I think that's a perfect vi visual of it, too, is that all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're rolling out the red carpet for this person instead of, yeah, like, like you were saying, trying to push your way in and like saying, please, you know, I need this attention. <laughs> yeah. Having a personal brand is what lets your reputation precede you into those rooms, into those opportunities. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so that explains the why. What's the how? So what are the tactics that you use? Because you were talking about you have to demonstrate your authority. So what are those tactics? What do you typically suggest for, for people to yeah, do that? And I'm glad I'm talking to a bunch of lawyers because I don't know what all the legal ramifications are. But I know when I work with clients, what it looks like is this. We just look at what are some of the successes you've experienced in your role, whatever that is. And how can we package that up as, say, a case study, a testimonial, an authority-building post? So a lot of what I do is if I'm not coaching clients directly, I'm writing for them for on platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter. And there are certain styles of writing that really gravitate towards here's an authority-building kind of post or tweet or thread and all these other kinds of things. I'm working with one guy right now. He's actually a, a he's actually a receiver. So he's a consultant. He was brought in on a receivership issue that he basically managed for over six years. And he took it from what would have been a thirty million dollar transaction to something that actually like I'm trying to get my numbers right. It actually resulted in a two hundred and eighty nine million dollar sell like sale at the very end and distributed over $89 million in the interim period because of his ability to manage it. But he was brought in by the court in this situation. So now he's coming to me and he's saying, Hey, Chris, I've got this great story. I want to turn this into a white paper slash case study from this story. I did good work. I picked up this other client. So I did good work there. And then I picked up this other one. And I did good work there. So what we're doing is we're turning all of that history into actual content that says, hey, here's what we did, here's how we did it, and if you want me to help you with your situation, here's how you get in touch with me. 
Yes. Okay, so I've I use both blog posts and case studies. I'm sure you do too. So let's break that down just a little bit to talk about like what's the difference? I'm sure people call things a case study and you I look at them and I'm like that's not a case study, that's a blog post and vice versa. <laughs> so what what is the difference? I mean, I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of variation in both. And and why why would you use one versus the other? Gotcha. I mean, this would be a great conversation to have with you, Karen, because I, I don't know that I know the best answer to this. I know my answer is this. There might be little difference between a very well-constructed, large-form blog post. And that's not what I see a lot of, especially lawyer, legal case studies being. What I see legal case studies being are like blurbs for what should be the case study, not the case study itself, right? What I see it as is you're literally telling the story in an intentional way. And so you have to have the lead. You have to have the hook that gets people's attention. You have to have the lead that kind of sets up the situation and the bottom line results. But then you got to walk people through that whole story. And not just, this is my client. He's actually a really great storyteller. And I have to find my way to focus him in and say, that's a great story. But we got to always be asking the question, why should the person reading this care? Right. How does this matter to them? Yes. I think that's the difference between a great case study, white paper, or just a blog post because you're hoping to get a few extra eyeballs on it. Yes. You're constantly weaving that thread throughout. We have a woman who does a lot of content writing, but she really specializes in these case studies. And a couple other things that she typically adds that's different from a blog post is a lot of testimonials. So in one way or the other, when you say case study, people are receiving that as this is information that is most likely talking about the firm itself and work that they did. This is not just information about the topic area. So it, it, this is not me writing about marketing or some subsection of marketing. This is talking about work that we did in a way that presents it sort of, you know, like when I was in grad school doing my MBA, this it's supposed to set the tone and sort of a template for things you could learn either for yourself for the future or that a potential client could relate to that helps them through their process. And for us, obviously it's a sales tool and it's like saying, hey, we did this work. So this is kind of proof of proof of life. What is, what's the phrase I'm looking for? <laughs> Not proof I would of say life. it's proof of authority and expertise. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So we, you know, in the same way that you're looking for testimonials and kind of almost like a review or a quote when you're on Amazon looking at products, you want those in your case studies. So we always have some quotes and testimonials from the client or, you know, whatever project we were working on. And then we try to use numbers as much as possible that talk about the before and after so that it really looks measurable, not just looks measurable, it supports basically everything we're saying. So it's like, yeah, we did this thing and here's how and here's what it meant and here's some numbers that support this idea. And that's that's probably the only thing that I would add on to what you were saying about case studies. Yeah. Yeah, no, great additions. Like, it's all about demonstrating the authority, not just stating that you have it, right? And so how do you do that? You demonstrate it with facts, figures, you demonstrate it with quotes, right? All those things are supporting materials to help elevate that authority of here's how I know I can help you. 
Yeah. And I think the big difference is if you think about someone who would be starting a brand new, like they decided yesterday they're going to start a marketing agency and they have no experience. They've never done it. And they're trying to get client number one. And so they can write a blog post and they could talk about, you know, marketing. They could talk about websites. They could talk about these big ideas in general in a blog post, but they can't do a case study yet. So that's the big difference. So, okay. So let's talk about monetizing your personality. I, I, I took this from your website too, and I love this. Once again, we're talking about personal branding and all of that, but how, you know, how do all these ideas come back to your bottom line and money? Yeah, it all depends on your goal, right? So I have some people that I've worked with, their goal is clients, like I need work, so I just need more clients. I have other people I've worked with where the monetization strategy is much more long. It's on a longer timeline. They don't need to make money next month. They're looking for a year from now, two years from now. I just got off a call with someone who's thinking, I'm in a contract for three years. I'm, I'm thinking that far ahead of what am I going to do when this contract's over, right? That's awesome. It really is. I'm just like... Nobody does you, that. <laughs> I'm almost like you don't need me right now. Like I'm gonna, I'll give you the strategy. Just keep doing this, and then three years is up. Come talk to me. But it's all about identifying your goal, and then just just getting really clear on the offer you're trying to make for that goal. So if you're trying to get clients, you need to actually put out there. Here's who I help. Here's how I help them, and here's how I know I can help you. If you could just answer those three questions and start putting out content that regularly bounces between those three or includes those three, you're going to start seeing people actually pick up the phone, send you an email, send you a message and say, hey, I know you do this. I'm in this situation. Can you help me? And now you're in the sales call process, right? So Exactly. So what do people do wrong with this? Because I know what my answer is, especially for lawyers. Where do you see them thinking that they're monetizing it when they're just kind of shooting themselves in the foot. They just say, hey, I'm a lawyer, hire me. Yes, I went to this law school. That's exactly what I was picturing. I, I'm so glad you kind of were able to read my mind on that one because I was exactly picturing when we first start working with an attorney and we will craft their bio page. And this is, I could not even tell you how much time I've talked about bio pages and how important they are. And recently we've got a couple clients and they literally took all the content that we drafted that is up ahead of like, this is where I went to school and whatever. And they like, take that all off. We just want these bullet points. This is where I went to school. This is where I'm admitted to the bar. These are some articles I've written, period. Take all that other stuff off. It's like, okay. <laughs> so you're saying you just want to be like every other lawyer out there and not distinguish or differentiate yourself in any way whatsoever. Right. You're not answering any questions that a potential client is actually at asking you. They do not care where you went to law school. They care that you did. So like you need the bullet point there just to like prove the point that you did. But that's it. Like it is such a minor concern as compared to everything else. Yeah. And there are ways of weaving that in, but you've got to tell your story. Like that's all a bio is, is a story you tell that has as its focus perspective the other person reading it, not you. What I like to say, I love Simon Sinek, but I think he has done maybe a disservice to some of the world of marketing. People don't care about your why. They don't care about what matters to you. They care about what matters to them. 
So include where you went to school. Yes. Include that you are, you, you passed the bar exam. Yes. Include that you're credentialed. Yes. Include your articles. But at the end of the day, people just want to know, can you help me? And if you can demonstrate two things, I like to say empathy and authority in any piece of content that you write, you will answer that question for them. But bullet points don't answer that. You got to actually tell the story. Okay, so give me some examples or kind of an illustration of how you would do that on a bio page and why kind of stripping off that intro paragraph or the description or the things that are not bullet points, like why is that kind of destroying this whole idea of your personal brand? Yeah, it's reducing your personhood to a bullet point and you just can't do that. Like you're not a, you're not a highlight reel. And so you actually have to talk about you have to craft something that actually says, I'm a human being who understands what other human beings are going through when they need to find a lawyer. Yes. Yeah. And that's something your bullet points just never answer, right? It's all about, it's all about, hey, look at me. I'm so great. I went to this school. I accomplished this goal. When really the people on the other side are just saying, but do you actually care about me? And would you care enough to take on my case? And would you care enough to win it for me? Because yes. if you're seeking out a lawyer, you're not in a place where you really want the lawyer to be thumping their chest. You want that lawyer to be concerned about you. I think that's so perfect because what I'm picturing when you're describing is that my daughter has this whole thing in her fifth grade class where they'd spotlight each other and kind of say, hey, this kid did a great job or whatever. And you are putting the spotlight on yourself and when you are doing those bullets. And that is not the point. <laughs> this website is not an ego exercise just to kind of talk about the fact that you went to law school. The website is trying to get you clients. And so put the spotlight over there on them. And by doing what you've described, there is no spotlight. It's, well, there is, but it's just on you. And there is no discussion or thought of the client. And I keep coming back to the, the name of your firm, which is Empathy Marketing. There, there is no option for empathy on that page at all. There isn't. And you're absolutely right. Like even when I describe what I do, I try and always be focused on who I'm talking to. So notice even when I introduced myself earlier and you asked me to do that, it's like, I'm tired of seeing great people go invisible. And so I want people to go from being the best kept secret to the go-to expert in their, their business, their field, their industry, whatever it is. Now, if that's something that you desire, right? If you can identify with that pain point of being overlooked, passed over, you didn't get the client, you didn't land that, that gig, whatever it is. Now, all of a sudden, this is going to sound bad, but it's like, I've got your attention. Now I can tell you about all the clients I've helped, all the things that I've done that I know I can help you because I've been able to demonstrate I've helped others too. But what, what first has to capture the attention is do they understand the position I'm in and the pain I'm going through? If they do, I'm willing to listen and hear more. Yeah, that idea of the best kept secret, like that's that's kind of cool if you're talking about a neighborhood restaurant that you don't want anybody else to go to because it might get too busy. But when you're a lawyer and you're trying to build your firm, this is a negative. <laughs> like just to point this out, you don't want to be the best kept secret. Like that's bad. <laughs> Invisibility is the one superpower no one wants in business. No, no. Yeah, that's not, it's not going to work out for your bottom line very well. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Okay. So let's, you mentioned positioning. So let's just quickly talk about that for a minute before we get to the book review. How does that kind of 
play into all of this. Like you talk about this personal branding, you talk about having empathy, you know, talking about the clients and how you help them. But what is the position? How does that play into all of this? Yeah, I think it's the step that a lot of people want to skip past or rush through. And it's one of the ones that I think is the more critical to get right. Because positioning is, it's just how you're setting yourself up in the marketplace of ideas where everybody else can offer the exact same service you're offering. Yes. Right? So if you're going to if you're going to go out there and you're going to say I'm only going to compete with my peers on our services, that's a race to the bottom. Yep. Right? You're going to have to do it for lower, for cheaper, for longer, and that's I don't know anybody that really signs up to be a business owner or business operator that wants to do that. No. So, when you position yourself though, and you kind of become your own category within a category, you don't have to do that anymore. So it all really just comes down to, I keep saying the same things because this is really is this fundamental. Positioning is just really clear on both who you are, who you help, how you help them, and how you know you can help them. Yep. If you can identify those four questions and those four pieces, you've got everything you need to actually differentiate yourself in a crowded marketplace. But you also need to lead with that. I feel like this is where I see so many firms go wrong is that they kind of find that those, they've read a book somewhere about this and they kind of got some of that language and they throw it in kind of buried somewhere on their about page. But their homepage is still leading with the idea of we are X lawyers in Y city and we are going to provide you innovative service. <laughs> it's like, what? What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, kill the adjectives. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you need to know all those things that you described, but then you, your messaging needs to lead with that so that that first impression is, oh, okay, this firm gets me and they, they, can, they can fix this. They can help me solve this problem. Exactly right. You got to lead with that. And you may not, you may not always lead with the positioning pieces themselves, but you've got to know what those are. So you can construct that lead that leads people there. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then at some level, visually message somewhere, you're pulling them in, in a way that kind of speaks to that issue that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Now this is where I get into, I get confused a lot because I'm the personal brand guy. And back to the person who 10 years ago on Instagram was kind of, you know, giving you a hard time. I actually think about the branding and it being woo-woo and everything else, yeah. right? And the guy last week who was saying it was silly. Yeah. Yeah. I, so when I talk about brand, I actually don't talk about logo. And I don't really talk about visual identification. Those things are important. When I talk about branding, I'm talking about the words and the ideas people associate with you. Because all, all an image does is communicate a lot of words with an individual medium. And so if you, don't get, if you don't get the verbiage right, if you don't get the wording right, if you don't get the narrative right of what your brand is, no logo is going to compensate for that, right? Exactly. Well, and then the best logos and branding and the visual representation are the visual representation of that message. So the ones that you see that don't have that, that are just a gavel or a little column or, you know, they're very generic. They're generic because they're not supporting anything. They're not representing that visual. So they're missing 
they're just sort of hollow. They're missing the core meaning behind what they're representing. So, you know, it's, it's this full circle thing that if you don't have that core meaning and, and message, all of the other pieces are going to fall short, including your website and your logo and you know, all those other pieces that support that. I am all about the design, all about the brand, all about the reputation, but those are all pieces of that marketing piece that support your message and support that positioning. And if you haven't started with that, then then it's all just, just sort of a house of cards. I mean, it just... It really is. I'll tell you where I learned this the hard way. Before I was doing this, I was leading a nonprofit and I took, like I went to our board to get approved. We need a new website. I would like $3,000 to get this company to redo our website. Come to find out all they did was take a theme and a template from WordPress that probably cost them a couple hundred dollars and just gave me a well-designed shell. I still had to put in weeks and weeks of work crafting all the words that went on that page, or pages on everything. And it's just like, what I really wish I would have done was paid somebody $3,000 to help me figure out the words that go there and how to construct that message because I could go buy that theme myself. I can go, I can go find somebody to give me a logo. What I need is help getting clear on what is my positioning and how do I position myself different from everyone else around me. Exactly. And that's the difference between strategy and tactics. If you don't have the strategy, all the tactics are just going to be you know, like we said before, they're just going to be kind of piecemeal and they don't have any meaning and they don't show anything and you're going to wonder why. And it's because you skipped the most crucial part of it. It's like you're just skipping to dessert and not in a good way. Like you're, you know, not, you have no nutrients, you have no, nothing healthy that's going in your body. You're trying to skip ahead to dessert and then you're just going to be full of this sugar that that is just not it doesn't feel good it doesn't it doesn't look good on your body like it doesn't mean anything i feel like that's not really the greatest analogy but i think you know where i'm going no yeah it feels great (laughs) in the moment and you feel awful later because it didn't solve your problem exactly it just made it worse exactly yeah (laughs) all right so it is time for the book review so chris what is i know you've got a good one we had a good conversation about this one earlier (laughs) so what's the book that you have to recommend that everyone should pick up Yeah, so mine is Lynchpin by Seth Godin, and it's a book that kind of flies under the radar. It came out, we were talking about this maybe 12 years ago, something like that. It just blew me away in that it was the first time I heard somebody actually articulate what I felt intuitively for a long time. And it it was the idea that, you know, anybody can do a job, but it takes somebody to actually really understand how they do a job that really differentiates themselves and makes them indispensable, right? There's this, there's this one line, right, where he talks about the difference between someone can always do your job a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit cheaper than you. What they can't replicate, though, is we called it your art. And I'm the son of an artist, so maybe I just get it from that. But I loved how he talked about how your art is what you do when no one can tell you exactly how to do it. Oh, I love that. What I love about that is that when I first started my career, I was a designer and a lot of people kind of, there's this line between design and art that a lot of people kind of get it all messy and they would start these conversations with me where it's like, um, I don't know what kind of colors I like and whatever. I'm like, okay, listen, art is very different from design and art really cannot be wrong. And so when you're talking about art in, that, in those terms, it's like this is you at the core where you are doing and creating and doing this work that is unique and, and just kind of creative. 
Design can fail. And so design is a whole other ball of wax. And design has elements of art in it, but for the most part, it has a function and a goal, and it can not meet those things, and so it can fail. So that's where you know I like to differentiate between those. But I love that quote because it kind of brings it back to the, that pure art side of things too. Well, and it's that. It's for me, one of, my, one of the main things I try and do is just learn enough about my clients to try and pick out what is their uniqueness. Like what is it the thing that they do and the way that they do it that, that they just don't even see. They take it for granted. They just think it's, it's, they either think it's normal or it's boring. And it's like, you don't realize it. That's the thing that not only lights you up, but connects with your audience. And so we've got to highlight that. And that's what I think when I read Seth Godin talking about art, it's that personal kind of hard to define. You know it when you see it, though, that thing that just makes you, you do the thing that you do so well. Yeah. And it's the thing people seek you out for, too. Because if if you're doing it well, you are presenting it in a good way, then uh, people will feel get the feeling that you are the only one for them. I know, for example, the woman who did the photos for, of my headshots on my website, I truly believe like she is the only one who has the kind of style and the look and the visuals and photographers. That's a hundred percent like a beautiful art. And she like that for me, when I think about photos, I wish I could get her to everyone, to all of my clients. Obviously she's a single person and like I can't fly her all over the country. But that is a perfect example of someone where when I think of her, I think of like she is the only answer, the right answer for me, for sure. Yeah. And that's that is the quintessential goal for a personal brand right there. You want to be the only one for your person, your people, your group, your audience. That's what you're trying to get for. That's awesome. I might I might need her name after we're done. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> and and then like to the point where I wouldn't even think about spending time looking for someone else because I've already got the answer. I've got her. I know what the answer is. And so what am I going to waste my time looking for someone else for? Like that makes, that doesn't even make sense to me in my brain because it's like, you know, I've already got that, that answer. I was going to ask you what a big takeaway that you want the kind of listeners to get for this episode, but maybe that's it. <laughs> sure. I'm good with that. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I, I would put it this way. There's a, an author named Larry Wingett. He put it this way. He said, find your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. Oh, I love that. I'm glad I asked because I almost didn't ask. And that is such a perfect quote for that. <laughs> Find your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. I think that's so good because it sounds, I think the word exploit people think, you know, negatively about, but we're talking about business. Like this is how you're going to make some money. And this is, you know, coming back to the whole big question is what everybody gets wrong about this. Like we need to make money at the end of the day. Right. You do. But the way to do it, is through overdoing it on the service side, not the extraction transaction side. And that's why I love that that's why I love that quote so much, right? Is it's one, you've got to do some kind of self-awareness and understanding who you are to your marketplace. You, like, you gotta know what your uniqueness is so that you can actually leverage that, exploit it, use it, and serve more people. Because ultimately that's how businesses grow. They're able to serve more people, do more good with all the things that they have, right? And so if that's your goal, find your uniqueness, exploit it in the service of others, and you'll never have to wonder where your next customer or client's coming from. Chris Genshier is the personal brand and growth content and content strategist. 
And thank you so much for being here. I feel like this was really important to kind of tie this idea of branding, elevating authority, but then tying it to bottom line and how it actually kind of makes you some money. Yeah, absolutely. It's not frou-frou. It's not hippy-dippy. It actually has an ROI. So thanks for having me. This was fun and glad to be here and serve your audience, Karin. Thank you. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.